So redlining was when certain areas like the map of a city was kind of mapped out and certain areas had better value homes and we weren't able to get into those homes. So people need to realize how this affects generations because one family is able to get into the side of the tracks that is going to appreciate, one side is not. And now you're listening to the Sugar Free Podcast. Welcome to the Tea Party, friends. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea, you know it's sugar free. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea, up in here we like it sugar free. Come through stuff, by get up with me, with your girl sitting back, I'm a little crazy. Ooh, right here with me, it's where you wanna be, let's get it Hey, friends. I know it ain't Monday, right? (laughs) It's Wednesday and we are having our first bonus episode of the Sugar Free Podcast. Oh, my God. We doing all kind of new things in season two. Oh, this is just the beginning. Wait for all the new things and features and people that we have coming up for season two. We leveling up, friends. So why are we having a bonus episode? Fun fact, sometimes our conversations on the show, well, a lot of times, because we really just be sitting down having a conversation and having a really good time. And so a lot of times our conversations go well over an hour. And that's before we add in commercials, theme music, and of course, my catchy little intros, my songs, my poems, and whatever's on my heart for that week, okay? And so there's tons and tons of hours of the sugar-free podcast that just end up on the editing room floor, like half the conversation in this episode. (laughs) But this particular conversation was so important that I couldn't let it go unheard. For this particular portion of the conversation, this week's guest and I discussed a few of the facts and statistics presented in one of the best books of the year in 21, as named by Fortune and NPR, called The Whiteness of Wealth, How the Tax System Impoverishes Black Americans and How We Can Fix It. Authored by world-renowned tax scholar and my former tax law professor turned colleague, Professor Dorothy A. Brown. This book paints a fantastic picture of the income disparities between black and white families and how the tax code has contributed to those disparities. So look, friends, if you're looking for a good book to add to your fall, summer, spring, winter reading list, this right here is the one. And they didn't even pay me to say that, okay? It's just really the one. As a black woman, I felt it's so important to have a conversation on the concepts presented in this book because in order for us to break generational curses, we must first identify what those curses are, right? We must use historical data and statistics to change our behaviors and improve future outcomes for us and our future generations and families. So let's take this information add it to our memory banks so that we can know better and in turn collectively do better. 
I wonderful 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 and enjoy the show miss atia brown that's this week's guest if you missed the first part so if you missed the actual episode and just gonna tune into the bonus episode you know exactly what i'm gonna say i'm not giving you a recap i need you to go back and do the reading for the week class okay do the reading so miss atia brown please remind the good people of who you are and what you do Hey everyone, my name is Atia Brown and I am a CPA by trade and the owner of the Savvy Accountant CPA firm. So excited to have you here. So excited to get into this topic because who wants to give away more of their hard earned money than they should? Like nobody, nobody. <laughs> right? Nobody. Literally nobody. And research has shown that the tax code and the framework for taxes is set up so that Black families are giving away more of their hard earned money than other demographics. And so this has kind of become a staple on the show where we level set. We almost give us a framework <laughs> and talk about some of the broader societal issues impacting taxes, specifically taxes for minority families. Right. So. Research says that the median white family in the U.S. has eight times more in net worth. That means the value of all your assets minus all your liabilities than the median black family. Research also says that when you sell your home for more than what you pay for it, you can earn up to $500,000 as a married couple and $250,000 as a single person without being taxed. If you sell your home at a loss, you cannot take a deduction. And it is more likely, based upon the home valuations in minority communities, that Black families are going to sell their homes at a loss and they will not get any tax benefit from doing so. And so these are just a couple of instances or examples that the research is telling us where Black families and Black Americans are being disadvantaged by the tax code. And so I was wondering if in your professional experience as an accountant, you've seen these things play out in real life? Or have you seen just generally Black families pay a disproportionate amount of their income to taxes? So I think you bring up great points and they are all very valid. So most of my clientele look like me and I'm very intentional with that. So I see the kind of like the repercussions of these facts to address the housing situation, that's also so that capital tax exemption on your primary residence, that's uh, something written to the tax code. So you don't have to pay taxes on that gain. But like you said, a lot of the black communities, the values are going down because, you know, these things are all really man-made. So whenever a lot of black people are in one area, they tend to devalue those. That's why it's so important for us to have more representation. We need more appraisers who look like us. We need more people who are making these decisions that impact what's going to happen when we want to sell our homes, that they look like us. So they understand us. And it's not a one-sided thing because there's like, I think it's called unconscious bias. Yeah. <laughs> I know what it is, but let's give it a term. There's a yes. lot of that that happens when these appraisers come in to value your home because you're going to sell it and 
your profit is going to be made off of that. So the wealth that you're sending to your next generation is based off of that. There is way too many stories in the news right now Mm. of families removing themselves from their homes and their appraisal values doubling. And that's a factor that a lot of people don't discuss. So yes, that law for the exemption is written into tax code. So anybody has access to it. But what's not considered is the fact that we're getting unconscious biases so our valuations are lower. And so then we're, we don't have the option to use that exemption because we're getting we're being sold at losses. So the law is written where it's not biased, but the situation surrounding the law is biased. And Listen, as an attorney, so you, you know. definitely know. <laughs> Well, there are typically, you know, several ways in which a law can be discriminatory and it can be considered discriminatory on its face, meaning the strict text of the law itself has discriminatory tendencies or a nature baked into it. Right. Like this person specifically can benefit or this group of people or a law or rule can be considered discriminatory if it has a disproportionate impact on a very specific and targeted group of people. And it sounds like that particular law specifically in the tax code has having a real disproportionate impact on black Americans. Like that sounds very much so discriminatory based on my understanding of discrimination as an attorney. (laughs) Yeah. And it's definitely something that needs to be addressed because you mentioned, I think the first one you mentioned was that white families have like eight times more net worth than black families. And I think it's projected that by 2053, the net worth for black households is going to be zero or something crazy. And people have this misconception of what goes into this. And it's not because black people don't know how to save or black people don't know how to invest. There are, there were so many things that happened down the pipeline and I'm not a historian, I'm not a researcher, but redlining was real. We couldn't live in certain areas. So the redlining redlining was when certain areas like the map of a city was kind of mapped out and certain areas had better value homes and we weren't able to get into those homes. So people need to realize how this affects generations because one family is able to get into the side of the tracks that is going to appreciate one side is not. Mm-hmm. Then they probably paid the same for their house. And so they're like, oh, they're on the same playing field. No, because when you go to sell that home, if your property value has increased and this one has decreased, that's going to be what's getting translated down to the next generations. It's called what we call step up basis. So if you pass away, then it's going to go down to your children. They now have that built in equity in that home. And that's something that the other side of the tracks didn't have. There's so many examples in history where we just weren't given the same chances as other people. And they take that for granted because that's able to build generational wealth. And I think that needs to be discussed more. We do need to discuss, but before we discuss it, can you tell us, I'm not sure if this is a question I'm going to, we're going to get to explain <laughs> what a stepped up basis is and what, what a basis is. And then what a stepped up basis is as it relates yeah. to taxes. Yeah. Yeah. So basis is basically the cost of the asset that you purchase. So it's your cost basis. So when you purchase a home, it's what you purchased a home for. Typically, basis comes into play when you are going to sell a home. So your selling price less your basis is going to give you what your gain is going to be. 
So that's typically how it works. Selling price, less cost is going to be with the gain, either a gain or a loss. Step-up basis is now something that is built in when you send the property to the generation below you through an inheritance. So if I purchased a home for 100000 that would be the basis. If I decided to sell it for 200 thousand, my gain would be a hundred thousand. But let's say my home appreciated in value and now it's worth 200,000, but I pass away. So my children are going to get it. The cost basis that my children are now going to be able to record for this home is now that 200,000 because that's what it was worth when they inherited it from me. So that difference as you can see, the 200 versus the 100 would have been a gain, but now that's just built in to the asset that my children now have. So they didn't have to buy it for 200,000, they got it, but that's now the value of the basis that they and that property that they own. And a lot of people don't realize that that's the important piece that you miss out on when you do a sale to a family member that could inherit the property when you pass on. So what I see in our community a lot is that they think that they're doing the great thing because they're getting into real estate. So they, they know that their grandparents have this home and it's old. And so they say, sell me your home for a dollar. And, and you know, it's a great, but they're missing the fact that if you inherit that property, you're saving on the taxes that way, as opposed to you purchasing the property from them, because now that's going to trigger a taxable event because they sold something and now they have the cost and then they have to calculate what the gain is going to be. If you inherit that property, that's where you get that step up basis. And that's really like the meat of what you want. So I tell people in our community all the time to look for those long-term goals and how you want to do that and see how you can achieve that without purchasing the property while your family member is alive. Gotcha. 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 Okay. So this was so much good information. So I just want (laughs) to recap because, you know, like, so I took a number of tax courses. Uh, So in law school, I got a transactional law certificate, but it's been so long, girl. I just, so you just refreshed my recollection. So let me just review just in case. So when you sell a home, as we talked about what the research says is that you can earn up to $250,000 on the sale of that property and you don't have to pay taxes on it. If you if you sell it, but and then what you're paying taxes on is the gain that you describe, right? Like whatever your profit is from selling the home and the property profit is calculated based upon whatever the sales price was minus what you paid for it. And so when you transfer that through a death, a will, what have you, your basis is now the sales price. So you basically have significantly reduced the amount that you can be taxed on when you go to sell the property. As the person who inherited it. So the basis for the person that's going to inherit it, it's going to be the value of the property at the time of death. And you have the tax law allows you to have that date or six months after. So if you get an appraisal kind of six months after the date of death, then that could be your basis. But it's no longer the basis that the person that first purchased the property. So if you decide to sell it because you inherit this property and, you know, maybe the real estate in that area is going up and you decide to sell it after you inherit it, now your basis is now that new amount. So the amount of taxes you potentially have to pay has now been reduced. 
Mm, I love that. Okay. So what if in that scenario or the scenario you described a few minutes ago, where you said that families will sell the property, for example, for a dollar to their loved one, how do you go about transferring ownership of the property then if the person's not dead, right? Because the only way they can inherit it and receive the benefit of the stepped up basis is if the person dies. But what if I want to give it to them now? Like you just say, let them live there and hold off till they die. (laughs) So there are different ways to do it. And so the strategy would come about going to that specific scenario. But once you sell it to them, now it's their asset and the person who purchased it, they have a sale. And this is where that when we first got on, we were talking about that game. This is where that's going to generate a loss. So in most instances, they didn't purchase the property for a dollar, right? So whatever they purchased it for, now there's the selling price is the dollar less their cost. That's going to generate a loss that we that they don't get benefit of. So they're not going to get benefit of that loss. The flip side is the person that acquired the asset. Their basis is now a dollar. So when they go to sell it, now it's the basis is a dollar. And basis is not just what you pay for it. It's actually the cost of the actual asset. So you can purchase it for a dollar, but have to put all the work into it, though that work is going to capitalize the asset. So that's going to get added to basis as well. But the main thing I want you to take away is that your basis is super low versus when it's the step up basis, your basis is going to be higher because it's now going to be the appreciated value of that property. Oh, this is so much good information. I'm like mentally... (laughs) (laughs) taking notes. I'm like, you're taking me back to income tax class day. (laughs) Okay. So I know we skipped ahead a couple of chapters. (laughs) This was, it was such good information, but I think it's important for us to have this kind of dialogue on how taxes impacts gender and race and family and ethnic demographics so that people can know and understand what the patterns are for our communities and how we can break those patterns because that's how we break generational curses. So I'm okay that we skipped ahead a couple chapters. You're good. (laughs) (laughs) So let's take it back to the top. Let's get us back on the first step. Yes, let's get us back to step one. And so step one for you, friends, if you haven't already, is to go back and watch episode two, season two of the Sugar Free Podcast, Making Money Moves, part one, income tax strategies for regular people. That's just step one if you haven't done it already. And then step two is for you, again, to go out and get that fantastic book, The Whiteness of Wealth. If you haven't read it, you need to. Everyone needs to read it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in to yet another amazing episode of the Sugar Free Podcast. Make sure that you tune back in next week because you never know what's going to happen, who we're going to have, how many bonuses we're going to do. You never know. So make sure you tune back in next week for another fantastic episode, plenty of great conversation, and of course, more of the most exquisite tea that's 100% sugar free. Woo chow. Mm-hmm. What a show. We shared some good old tea today, didn't we, friend? Thank you for your presence. I truly enjoyed you at the tea party. And we appreciate you sipping on some sugar-free tea. With me, your host, Sid Mack. Until next time, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube 
at Sugar Free Podcast or at Sugar Free Pod. You can also visit our website at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. See you again soon, friends. And be sure to keep the tea party going, a with plenty of tea that's 100% sugar-free. Meet small business owner Mackenzie Nicole. Mackenzie's business is growing, and she needs forms and templates to legally protect her business from clients, partners, and employees. But she's low on cash and needs to find forms and templates that are legally binding and comprehensive, yet affordable. Not knowing where to find such forms and templates, Mackenzie was stressed until she found Formally Forms, the one-stop DIY legal shop for small business owners, side hustlers, and entrepreneurs. All Formally Forms are affordable, easy to use, and expertly drafted by a licensed business attorney and reviewed by a law professor. So what are you waiting for? Be like Mackenzie and get your formally form or template today.